Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. In July of 1776, a pair of Franciscan friars, Francisco Atanasio Dominguez and Silvestre Vélez de Escalante, were charged by the governor of New Mexico with discovering a route across the unknown southwest to the new Spanish colony in California. In strict terms, the expedition failed. Running out of food and beset by an early winter, the 12-man team gave up in what is now western Utah. The retreat to Santa Fe became an ordeal of survival. The men were reduced to eating their own horses while they searched for a crossing of the raging Colorado River in Glen Canyon. Other writers, using Escalante's brilliant and quirky diary as a guide, have retraced the expedition route, but David Roberts is the first to dig beneath his pages to question and ponder every turn of the team's decision-making and motivation. And he weaves the personal and historical narratives into a gripping journey of discovery through the magnificent American Southwest. David Roberts is award-winning author of 29 books about mountaineering, exploration, and anthropology. His most recent publication before this book, Limits of the Known, won the prestigious Boardman Tasker Award for Mountain Literature. David Roberts joins us for the program today. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Happy to be here. Thank you. You're talking to us from uh, your home in Massachusetts, are you? Yes. Oh, it is great. I just got over a horrible heat wave. Oh, oh, you did. Yeah, it's pretty hot out here right now as well. It's uh, yeah. Temperatures are back a little more toward normal. Yes, uh, nice day today. That's good. That's good. Well, this is a very interesting uh, journey. Uh, Want to talk about this and of, of particular interest to people in Utah. Um, this a lot of this route uh, traces through through our great state. I grew up hearing about this. My father had a great interest in Dominguez and Escalante and uh, grew up in Vernal in eastern Utah, and the route goes, you know, very close through there in the Yona Basin. Um, so why did you, where did you, I think you have a long-term interest in this, and um, and you, you decided at this point to, uh, I'm going to retrace the route. What, what was your purpose? I'd known about the Dominguez-Escalante expedition for, at least 25 years, and had always thought about trying to retrace it. And initially uh, thought it would be, be too tame because most of it is on roads today. And uh, it was only after I got cancer in 2015, which severely curtailed what I could do physically, especially cut down my hiking ability, that I thought, well... This is a great thing for me to do while I'm so limited. And in a way, I thought it would free me up to be more intellectually critical and analytic about this whole journey, which is what I hope I was able to do. Yeah, I just want to treat briefly your cancer. You, your uh, immunotherapy has helped, has it? You're... Yeah, I'm, I'm still alive four years after the initial diagnosis, which was stage four throat cancers, which is pretty, uh, pretty serious, and I'm not sure I expected to live six months, but immunotherapy is a, a true miracle drug, and though it hasn't, uh, I'm past the point where the cancer could be cured, it's, it stabilizes it, and there's still a lot of things I can do, and I can still travel, and I can still write, and 
still talk. So <laughs> that's a lot to be thankful for. That that is. We're we're glad you're still with us. Uh, glad you're able to take this uh, this journey. And, and as you say, we you know we uh, David Roberts' book. We we expect you scaling mountains and uh, exploring extreme, but uh, this I think pressed you uh, with 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 your cancer the, this route. Yeah, it was um, one thing that's very testing is uh, much of the road, much of the route that the that the Padres took cannot be followed today. A lot of it's under reservoirs. Some of it is uh, poorly enough indicated in Escalante's journal that you have to guess where where they went. So there's a lot of roads or not. There's a lot of reading the landscape and trying to figure out where would men more than 200 years ago have have gone through here with horses. And I've always prided myself on being a good reader of landscape and navigator and that challenge was particularly uh, uh, beguiling for me. Hmm. Uh, so tell us about these men, Dominguez and, and Escalante. They were uh, charged with leading this expedition, a small expedition, um, to, to to discover a route to, to uh, I guess, new possessions in California. It's very puzzling why they were chosen. Um, the, the governor of New Mexico in Santa Fe mainly wanted to establish a trade route from Santa Fe to Monterey all the way across this unknown southwest, the great American southwest of today. So you'd think he would have chosen military types, but he chose two Franciscan friars who actually had relatively little experience in uh, exploring. One was 27, the other was about 37. Uh, but they had spent their time in New Mexico, which was only a few years each, mainly trying to convert the natives to Christianity and checking up on the uh, on the state of the monasteries and the missions, which by 1776 they were really falling apart. The whole Franciscan effort, in fact, the whole Spanish effort in New Mexico was falling apart and. Not much long, not much later in each twenty one they would give up and turn the country over to Mexico. So it's it's puzzling that two padres without any military escort were put in charge of this really serious expedition. And a testament to them and to their tenacity and drive and courage that they got as far as they did. I mean seventeen hundred mile loop to unknown terrain is no no easy task in seventeen seventy six. And we have this uh this journal, this incredible journal, Escalante's journal. Um which uh you, and maybe this would be a good time to compare and contrast uh the Dominguez and Escalante with Lewis and Clark. Because one of the one yeah, of the uh, great differences is the is the journals. I mean what what Expedition is better known to us Americans than Lewis and Clark. Now they're uh, they're they're true iconic heroes, and so many books have been written about them. And um, there was indeed a, a superb carrying out of a mission that Thomas Jefferson gave them. 
but the, 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 it's very hard to read the, the, the first-person accounts because Lewis and Clark both kept journals. They diverged all over the place. Clark was almost illiterate, and yet his diary is in some ways more vivid and more honest than Lewis's. And by contrast, you have Escalante, who is quite a literate writer and quite interested in all kinds of things, including the Indians he runs into, though always with an ulterior motive, which is to turn them into good Christians. But um, you have a single voice, a coherent voice, and it's it, it, unlike other journals, for instance, Teresa de Vaca, who traversed the, uh, the whole American continent in the uh, 15, uh, let's see, 15, 80, uh, 1530s, and left a very sketchy journal. Nobody can figure out where the Cabeza de Daca went. But we can figure out very, very precisely, except for those ambiguities, just where Dominguez and Escalante went. And I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that, that my wife Sharon and I were able to follow their trail 95% of the time. Um, could you, uh, I was fascinated, uh, and you treat Cabeza de Vaca only briefly, I had not known uh, this history. He he, um, he was a part of a large expedition and was decimated, apparently, and he and, what, just a couple of other men traversed, I don't know, a thousand miles or, or so. Just an just incredible That's adventure. Three thousand miles. Three to three thousand miles. Kind of... St- Across eight years. I mean, it's, it's, it's probably the most extraordinary journey ever taken in North America. They, they were part of a... I don't know, a 300-man Spanish expedition to Florida. It was aiming for Mexico and it ended up off route and crash landing on Florida on the Gulf Coast. And within months, all but four of the three or 400 men have died from disease, drownings, uh, Indians, swamps, insects, so on. So Cabeza de Vaca and only three companions just took off to the west. And it took them eight years to end up in Culiacan on the west coast of Mexico. And nobody believed that they had crossed the whole continent. And they had the most outlandish tales to tell. Uh, Half the time they were enslaved by the Indians they met, sometimes for a year or two at a time. And half the time they were treated like gods and miracle workers and asked to cure all the Indians' diseases. And one would give them, and there had been efforts made to retrace Cabeza de Vaca, but every scholar comes up with a different route. And you could be 200 miles off, you know. We don't even know if they went by land or water. Uh, and that's the great journey, but it's really untraceable. And the journal is so short and sketchy that you only get hints here and there of what was going on day by day. Mm. Yeah, it, it struck my imagination because I think we're conditioned to to see explorers, you know, as resolute, and they they have plans. They follow those plans. They overcome challenges. 
uh, Cabeza de Vaca seems to have, and his companions seems to have, you know, stumbled uh, and <laughs> lurched and in and out of slavery and, and uh, you, know, you know, just zigzagged across the continent. <laughs> it's the greatest stumble in American history. It's exactly, they, they were just trying to move on and find some Spaniards somewhere. They had only, they had no maps, they had no idea, except that somewhere out there to the west was Mexico. Um, I wonder, uh, the the impulse here, you talk about this in the book, uh, so Cortez won an empire, huge, um, but not many years, Coronado goes out. They're, they're always questing. Then, you know, it, um, Dominguez and Escalante uh, on, you know, from, from the U.S. side, uh, Lewis and Clark, and then uh, Zebulon Pike, and the, 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 you know, on and on. Always questing um, unquenchable thirst, I guess, for for land. What was the urge? Well, you know, the 18th century was a great age of discovery and of claiming land. And one of the biggest motives for the Spaniards was they were convinced that not not the Americans weren't, weren't a threat, but the French and the Russians were going to grab this big landmass to the north of New Mexico. They seriously thought the Russians would come down from Alaska and appropriate California, and the French would come across the, the Great Plains in the Midwest and and claim the Southwest for France. In fact, there were French voyageurs all through that land, but whether they ever got that far west is doubtful. So uh, competition, national competition, I guess, is one is a big, uh, a big impetus here. Yeah, I mean, I mean, think of the British Empire and how, at every hand, they made sure that they took control of India or the Congo or or uh, Canada or the United States, for that matter. Of course, I mean, building the empire was what it was all about. Even certainly Cortez. Cortez's main goal was to build the Spanish Empire in the New World. Coronado was just extending it. Uh, one of the one of the dreams, I guess, the uh, this mythical paradise known as Teguayo was 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 a driver, I guess. Yeah, that's a really hard thing to explain. The, the Teguayo, the the very murkily understood land somewhere up to the north, which was also the the uh, the the in the origin myth of the Tewa Indians, that's a group of six pueblos along the Rio Grande. They all came from a lake somewhere way up to the northwest. You know, and it's often been uh, identified as Great Salt Lake or Utah Lake. Whether the Tewa actually came from there is argued about by anthropologists today and linguists, but it's certainly a strong, strong origin myth for the people on the Rio Grande. And they, they would have told the Spanish, yeah, where we came from up there is a, it's an incredibly fertile paradise uh, I didn't say you guys should go check it out. They said, 
it's our last paradise. It's where we came from and where, where life was better once. So this intersects with the, with the government's very pragmatic idea to build a trade route to Monterey. And indeed, when Dominguez and Escalante get to what's today Provo, they think they found it. And they're, they're more impressed with Provo and the Ute Indians on Utah Lake than any other Indians or any other place on the whole journey. And there they determined to come back and build a mission and build a whole colony, which they never did. Mm. But all the descriptions of that place and those people are romantic and idyllic and idealized. I want to go to break soon, and uh, when we come back, uh, you know, start tracing some of these uh, routes. Uh, you mentioned Provo, and uh, we'll talk about others that, that struck you. Um, if I put myself in the place of any of these explorers, including Dominguez and Escalante, um, and you muse about this in the book, fear, right? Fear of the unknown. you got to overcome that. Um, and I wonder, you know, reading Escalante's journal, I don't know how much he does introspection and how much you're able to parse out. Um, but, you know, faith plays a part, there, and whether it's foolhardiness or faith. You, you tell about an experience Escalante had not long before he embarked on this journey. He's out trying to convert to some Indians, and uh, these Indians say that there's some Navajos who are going to lie in wait for him and, uh, and ambush him. And he says, uh, that's fine, and they can bring their friends, because I'm being protected by God. Yeah, he says, indeed, uh, God, my, the, the protection of God is stronger than all the Navajos, all the men there ever have been or ever will be. And so he just sails right into the potential ambush, completely unconcerned, and it turns out that nobody does ambition. That that faith was his great uh, shield against fear. There are times when they both both men express fear, but um, considering the journey they took, it's amazing they didn't quit earlier and weren't more spooked and even terrified. Mm. Yeah, as you one, as... Of, one of the I know you're short on time. One of the great mysteries for me is. Why no Indians attacked them? They were pretty defenseless. Yeah, that that is a. They're heading out to the unknown. You would normally have a bunch of soldiers. They didn't. I mean, they had guns, but they were fairly lightly armed. Right, and and not once were they attacked by any of the tribes they went through, even though other traders had been murdered all over the Southwest. And, Kindred situations. Hmm. Um, let's take a break. When we come back, I want to get into uh, the, this this fascinating journey. It's a double journey. Uh, Dominguez and Escalante, and then uh, David and his wife Sharon uh, followed uh, this route. As he says, he thinks he got it to at least 95% right. Um, and he writes about this in Escalante's dream on the trail of the Spanish discovery of the Southwest. More following this break. UPR is made possible today with a program day sponsorship from Vernie Heaney of Vernal in celebration of Nell Heaney on her 90th birthday. The White House announced recently Utah State University Assistant Professor E. Dallas Villanueva will receive the Presidential Early Career Award for Scientists and Engineers. 
A first-generation student from Puerto Rico, Dr. Villanueva teaches in the Department of Engineering Education. Dr. Villanueva is the first faculty member from Utah State University to receive this award since it began in 1996, and she is the only award recipient this year from Utah. Warm summer evenings have arrived and it's time to head outdoors for parties on the patio. And we've got the perfect soundtrack for your gathering. Jamaican reggae, Congolese sukus, and Caribbean zouk for dancing or just hanging out. I'm Dan Storper. And I'm Rosalie Howard. Join us for Summer Party, the next Putumayo World Music Hour. Join us Friday night at 10 on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. We're talking about a book, Escalante's Dream, On the Trail, the Spanish Discovery of the Southwest. The author is uh, David Roberts. He's author of uh, many books, uh, 29 books about mountaineering exploration and anthropology, including Alone on the Wall, which was written with world-class rock climber Alex Honnold. Um, so we're talking about the Dominguez and Escalante expedition of 1776. This was took about six months Right, July to yeah. to January. Um, did you trace it uh, the, the, the same time frame, the same times of year? Uh, well, <laughs> we didn't take six months to do it. Yeah. It took forty <laughs> right. days. Okay, <laughs> but um, we we did we started in September. They started in July. It would be hard to go as slow as they went. <laughs> yeah, slowly as they went. Right. Um, <laughs> But but uh, we certainly uh, covered it day by day in the sense that we uh, the way we would do it is actually Sharon did most of the driving and I would navigate and read out loud the, the, the journal entry of the day and then we would stop at a crossroads and say wait a minute they, they must have gone here turn right here and. It was it was a wonderful process, something we'd never done before. You know, we've been married fifty years now, never quite done a trip like that together. And Sharon really got into it. So, aside from being an interesting thing to write about, it was a a wonderful thing for the two of us to do to do together in our old age. Uh, so tell me about this in in brief, and then we can uh, t- take some stops along the route. Seventeen hundred miles—it's a loop. They decided in Western Utah, uh, no, we're going to abandon this. We're <laughs> we're going to go back. Uh, but roughly, uh, where does the trail follow? Um, they start out from Abiquiu, basically, which is the sort of the farthest outpost of Spanish settlement in. 1776. Abiquiu is northwest of Santa Fe, a few miles, um, and then they they head up through western New Mexico, cross into Colorado, southwestern Colorado, right around about where Durango is today. Still going northwest, which makes sense, and then right around the Dolores River, they make a very inexplicable choice to go east. Now, they're trying to get to California, so you're not going to get there by going east. Uh, it seems that they were disturbed by the fact that in 20 days they had run into no Indians. And the 
the great sort of secret mission of Dominguez and Escalante was to convert the, the heathen. So they, they want to find some Indians to convert. And they have a rumor that the Sabogana Utes are to off to the east. But also, they're struggling to get in trouble. And they think, pragmatically, maybe these youths can give, give us a little help and <laughs> tell us where we are in case we're lost. So that was one of the puzzles. You know, they never explain why they shift directions to go east. Anyway, they had to, up on the western edge of Colorado, come back into Utah, right near Vernal, as you mentioned, your father uh, living in Vernal, picked up an interest in them. We stayed in Vernal overnight, in fact, on the, the not not very far off the, the Mies-Escalante Trail. Then straight west and over the mountains into what is now Provo, where they spend a couple of days. And really, that's the high point of their trip. Then they take off, still heading toward California, but inexplicably start heading south. And I wondered at that point if they're already thinking of, of bagging it and heading back and giving up. And a couple of a couple of weeks later, they get into the very uh, desolate part of Utah, even today, out on the west near a town of Milford, um, and decide, doing as that's going to announce, we, we can't. We can't make it too far. We haven't heard a, a single rumor about California or Monterey. The Indians have never heard of it. Uh, the, the team is divided. Mira y Pacheco, the experienced ex-warrior, ex, ex-military guy, says, nonsense, you know, we could get to Monterey in a week. Well, <laughs> they could not... <laughs> They had no idea that the great desert of Nevada would lay ahead of them or the Sierra Nevada in California. They would surely died if they listened to Mira Pacheco. Anyway, they actually cast lots. They they throw up a stick or put two pieces of paper in a hat. One says, we'll go on to Monterey. One says, we'll turn around and get back to Santa Fe. And Santa Fe wins. So... The, the Padres actually say, well, we'll put the choice up to God. God will choose for us. There's a lot of dispute about what really ha- happened when they cast the lots. But then they have what turns into the survival ordeal. They are really lost. They don't even realize that this great river the Indians keep talking about is the Colorado River. And they hit it pretty much near Lee's Ferry, where it enters the Grand Canyon, and there's no way to get across. And they waste, I think, 11 days until they finally find a crossing, known forever after as the Crossing of the Fathers. Anyway, uh, from then on, there's a visit to Hopi and to Zuni, and then back to back to Santa Fe. But... By the end, you can tell they're exhausted, played out. The, uh, Escalante, Escalante's diary entries really get curtailed into a sentence for every four days. They've had it. They're worn out. 
And when they get back to that, she treated it as a failure. You know, you guys, it, they didn't blow it, but they did, they, they disappointed everybody, including the governor. It's kind of sad because it was a, a great journey. And uh, Escalante doesn't live too many years past this, right? Yeah, he's actually, another reason I have to give him credit for his courage, he was pretty damn sick the whole time. He kept talking about his stomach ailment. He did doesn't talk about his stomach ailment. On his previous journey, he had said that sometimes the stomach ailment was so bad that he could not climb down from his horse and walk. He never mentioned his bones on the five-month journey in 1776, but he died only three years later at age 30 on the way to Mexico City to try to get cured. Um, scholars think he could have died of pancreatic cancer, but um, to carry this out when he was probably in daily constant pain is a testimony to his courage, I think. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, you uh, you know, you insert along the way some of your reactions. At a certain point, you get a little cranky about they're always trying to convert the Indians, right? And and your and your <laughs> wife provides some rebuttal. She says, "Yeah, but they're really they're really brave." And you go you go back and forth. It's interesting to see that overlay. You're following the journey, and 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 your attitude toward them kind of fluctuates. Yeah, I wanted to make this not just a historical reconstruction book, but a, a road trip book. And so uh, there's a lot of passages about Chernomy and what we did that day and how we can't and how we, what we talked about and our past. And I hope to, to make the book more humanly interesting by mixing my journey, my past, our journey, tracing their journey with a purely historical account. Some some reviewers don't like that. Others have thought it's key to why the book might work. Hmm. What did uh, you have? I want to ask first of all um, their relationship with the various Indian tribes that they encountered. They depended on on them. I think sometimes um, they were try- they had a, a purpose. They were trying to convert them. Um, but but uh, I guess overall, what was your impression of their? interactions with and relations with the, the the peoples who are already there. Yeah, it's very interesting. I perhaps the thing that most irked me. I mean, I guess I'm coming from a modern atheistic perspective is that the minute they the minute the Padres meet some Utes, mostly Utes, they say we're going to get we're going to preach the gospel to you. You know, three hours after they said hello, and either Dominguez or Escalante launches into a explication of Christianity, which obviously was completely baffling to the Indians they were preaching to, and then begging them all to, to in the future, be baptized and become good Christians. And what I what I find not credible is that Escalante says over and over again, the simple savages were overjoyed to hear about 
Christ and Mary and God and heaven and the Trinity and communion and baptism and agreed to practice it forthwith. And they even, uh, Dominguez even lectures, uh, you know, he asks one Indian what his name is, and the Indian's name is something like Little Bear. And Dominguez scolds him for taking a totemic animal for his name and says, from now on, your name is going to be, I forget what, Santiago. <laughs> and he says the Indian was so glad to be renamed. Well, I doubt it. <laughs> My guess is that the Utes saw these strange white guys and then the strange white guys start speaking, preaching some incomprehensible story about salvation. And they think, they listen politely because they hope to trade with them. And, you know, they do a little body and they think these guys are really crazy. Uh, but they're, they're polite and they, they want to trade. And what, what makes things even more vexing is that Escalante and Dominguez had forbidden anybody on the trip to, to trade with the Indians. That would corrupt their mission. Of course, they end up trading with them because they, they're going to die if they don't get some food from the, the so-called savages. But uh, talk about a uh, complete miscommunication and only one primary source to judge it by. You, you would give anything to have a primary use source of what it was like to meet these weirdos. But I searched and searched, and I could not find anything that even had the faintest echo of that hmm. in ethno-history. And you, it's interesting you you bring this forward, your musing on the you know, culture clashes, bringing it to today, you're, you're in Vernal, observe a uh, Ute family, um, you know, the, uh, living in modern society. I'm quoting you here. In 2017, it was hard for me not to see the legacy of Silvestri and Sabuaganas as marginalization, anomie, and reservation blues. Yeah. Um, I know I'm tiptoeing on the edge of ethnic stereotyping there, but we had, we had sat down for dinner in the big restaurant, and there was a very happy party of youths, uh, ranging through all the generations, and celebrating something, maybe 12 people at the table. And every single one of them was not, not just fat, but grossly fat. And I thought, you look at the portraits of youths and Navajos at the turn of the 20th century, and they're all lean and fit and... Um, and healthy. And I simply felt the sadness when we went through current day reservations at the signs of uh, marginalization and second class citizenship that American Indians have been reduced to. And uh, the corresponding somewhat veiled antagonism to white people. It's all touchy, touchy business, but I didn't want to ignore it. By the way, on a side here, I found this very interesting. 
Um, I don't know if this was around this time. I think you're looking back. You you, you tried to get a uh, permit, get a hiking guide in the Utenore <laughs> Indian Reservation, and they didn't know what to do with that. Yeah, I, I, I wanted to hike on the, the Uinta and Ore Reservation in northern, northeastern Utah. A huge tract that I'm sure is full of prehistoric marvels, but which uh, is off limits to Anglos, except that I knew that they, the, the Utes there, uh, would guide hunters in the fall for big bucks deep into the reservation to shoot deer and elk. And uh, so I simply woke them and said, could I hire a Ute guide to, to go hiking? And they said, nobody's ever asked us that before. And I said, well, how about it? I never heard from them again. I guess <laughs> you just didn't fit in their pigeonhole. <laughs> Got lost in the bureaucracy, probably. They didn't know where to, what to do with that, yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, tell me about, uh, I guess the, the high point of their journey was Utah Lake, right? And the, uh, this beautiful place and a, and a friendly welcome from the, from the natives there. They, they were predestined to see this as Tewayo, uh, the mythical land from which the Tewa came. And also another thing, complicated thing is that there had been a long rumor that there were lost Spaniards up there somewhere uh, that had been separated from Coronado's mission way back in 1540 and had been never able, never been able to get back to Santa Fe. So one other motive was to try to find the lost Spaniards. And there were, there were rumors of guys up there with long beards and even... Uh, swords and uniforms that sounded like Spanish mayo and and armor. And so Dominguez and Escalante keep asking if they've seen any other lost Spaniards up there. Turns out there weren't any. And there were Indians with long beards, which nobody thought possible. But anyway, they get to Provo, Utah Lake, and Escalante actually intersperses a set piece describing what a perfect place this would be for a Spanish colony. It's actually richer and more fertile than Santa Fe. We've got to come back here and not just build a mission, but towns and businesses and, you know, a, a, whole, a whole major settlement in the midst of the natives who will soon become good Christians. And I think his greatest disappointment in the journey was that he promised the youths that he would come back and convert them, and they all said, oh, please do, please. We, we can't wait till you come back, or so he says. And all the way home, he's thinking, I lied to them. I'm never coming back. How could I have done that to them? How could I have let them down? It's truly uh, disturbed by it. And they never did come back. Uh, of course, Escalante didn't survive uh, no, too they, long past. They get uh, back to, I mean, they get back and, they, and he, he pleads with the governor. They, they both plead with the governor to go back and establish missions. And the governor says, 
Look, we got enough trouble maintaining the missions around here. The last thing we need is new missions way the hell out there. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I want to say, why didn't you tell poor Dominguez and Escalante that before they went out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like the governor is saying, forget it. There's no point in this journey if you don't get to Monterey. Brings up a question: What was what do you think was the, the the bottom line motivation for the governor for sending them out? It was they needed a trade route to Monterey because Junipero mm. uh, Serra had established a mission in Monterey in I think 1770, just you know six years before the expedition, and so they, the Spaniards have finally moved into California. To, to get a message from California to New Mexico could take three or four months because you had to send a, a messenger all the way to Mexico City and then all the way back up to Santa Fe. So to have a dialogue would take a year. If you could get this trade route across the Southwest, you could short-circuit that by a factor of 10 and bring goods to the starving missions in California that were already running out of supplies. I mean, it's a very sensible motive. They had nobody, well, nobody knew is how rough the Southwest is. They didn't know about the canyons, you know, Grand Canyon, uh, the, the mountain ranges, the Wasatch, the Uintas, the, the deserts of Nevada, the Sierra Nevada. Uh, I mean, the, the, all this country that we find so glorious today was an endless succession of obstacles that they would have just as soon had a flat plane and easy riding. Uh, before we go to break, I want to ask you about that. Um, flat plane, easy riding, that's not for you. You have a, an interesting passage in the book. Where you say you, know, you cross the Great Plains as fast as you can, it's uh, it's, it's not not land that appeals to you. The Southwest does. Yeah, I quote Richard Burton, the, the explorer, who took a trip to Salt Lake to to check out the Mormons and Brigham Young, and he said he went by stagecoach across the Midwest, and he said the only way to survive a stagecoach ride across. Midwest is with copious doses of opium. <laughs> I think that's my my take on the Midwest too. <laughs> what so what is about Southwest that appeals to you so much? Well, the initial draw was the rock art and ruins of the Anasazi. I know we're supposed to call them ancestral prevalence, but I refuse to do so. Um, I got my first taste of that in the late 1980s, early 90s. Before that, I'd been a serious mountain climber. I'd done 13 expeditions to Alaska, and I lived for Alaska and for mountains. But as I got older, in my late 30s, I I thought, man, this is too dangerous and too hard and too miserable. But I couldn't find anything else that was equally compelling until I stumbled upon basically southeast Utah, Cedar Mesa. In fact, the very region that is now the Barrasier's National Monument, either the Obama or the Trump version. And this became very quickly a place I had to go back to at least twice a year 
And the point of it now for me was to try to find ruins in Lockhart that nobody else knew about. And the Anasazi were master climbers, so it still took my climbing ability to get to and find some of these places. And that has sustained me for 25 years since. It still does. My next book is going to be about the Bears' ears. And uh, it's simply the place right now on Earth that I most love and most want to spend time in. Well, we're glad to have your writings uh, uh, about it. I'll be interested in that uh, that new book. Let's take a break. When we come back, um, let's uh, talk more about Escalante's dream. Uh, I want to get a little more detail on this uh, harrowing return trip. They decide out in western Utah, uh, no, we're going to go back. And they encounter a big obstacle. How do you how do we cross the Colorado River and uh, get to extremity even of eating their own horses? We're talking about the Dominguez and Escalante expedition of 1776, much of this happening in uh, what is now Utah. The book is Escalante's Dream. The author, David Roberts, uh, joins us uh, more following this break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and Utah Festival in Logan, Utah with the musical Mary Poppins, July 6th through August 3rd. The kids are in desperate need of a new nanny. A mysterious and sophisticated woman appears and transforms their world. Info and tickets at utahfestival.org. There's still time to purchase tickets to UPR's upcoming summer concert at the Vineyards at Mount Naomi Farms in Hyde Park, Under the Sunset, on Sunday, July 28th. Hear Ryan Conger, who recently returned from Europe after touring with the USU Jazz Orchestra and his band, while enjoying food from Culinary Concepts. Purchase tickets at upr.org. See you there. Everyone has a favorite author, actor, musician, or comedian. At All Things Considered, we don't just bring you the news of the day. We introduce you to the coolest people you thought you knew and learn what really makes them tick. What you hear might just surprise you. Join us every afternoon for All Things Considered from NPR News, conversations that connect. Join us for NPR's All Things Considered weekday afternoons at 3 here on Utah Public Radio. Thanks for joining us for Access Utah. We've reached our last segment. We have about six minutes left in the program. David Roberts has joined us. His latest book, Escalante's Dream, On the Trail, the Spanish Discovery of the Southwest. Talking about the Dominguez and Escalante expedition of uh, 1776. So, David Roberts, I wonder if you tell me a little bit more about this. Uh, they decide to re- to uh, not push on to Monterey. Uh, turns out it's a wise decision. They didn't know about the vast expanse of desert. Uh, but they encounter a, a big obstacle. How do you cross the Colorado River? And uh, so that turned into some quite some adventure. Yes, they, they get down to about uh, Cedar City, today's Cedar City, and they start talking to what I think were Paiute Indians who say, and they're, sort of, they're pretty lost. Uh, they think they're near the Green River, not to Colorado. And the Paiutes keep saying, you can go south, but you'll be stopped by this great canyon. There's no way to get across. And they don't quite, the Spaniards don't quite believe them, but they, when they get there, they say, oh my God, they were right. There's no way to cross this. Uh, 
they go up and down the banks from what is today Lee's Ferry, and finally take, take some really difficult routes up through the buttes and and uh, slot canyons that are that lead from Lee's Ferry to Page and then north into what now, of course, is covered by Lake Powell, until finally they uh, they find a what was no doubt a long-established Indian ford, a place where you can get horses across and they go no deeper than uh, go up to the saddle. And actually, uh, the two guys who, uh, we don't really have time to talk about this, but the two, two guys who are the heroes of this solution are the two, what I call the two hitchhikers, two guys who uh, who were sort of half-caste, half-caste Indians who, for the first 15 days, followed the expedition and then announced themselves. And Escalante and Discuss says, okay, we'll take you guys on, but you, you're worthless, and we don't really want you, but we don't want you to do any mischief either. Well, these two Peniseros, or half-breeds, or ne'er-do-wells, end up being... The heroes who, because they could swim, they actually swam across the Colorado and found the route. Um, uh, they should have, they should be acknowledged as minor heroes of the whole expedition, but Escalante doesn't name, name them by name. Anyway, it would be wonderful. I would have loved to find the crossing of the fathers, but it's under 400 feet of water today. And uh, so one more place we can't retrace them. Mm, yeah. After that, though, things are, are, by that point, things are really getting desperate. They're out of food. They start eating their horses. Um, at one point, they kill a porcupine, and, and Escalante says, he does, Escalante has no sense of humor, but sometimes humor comes out unintentionally. He says uh, that the porcupine divided 12 ways to not make a meal that filled our stomachs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, there, there is still um, an inscription in this area, right, which we think very possibly there, could be from Dominguez and Escalante. In 2006, uh, some workers for Lake Powell, for the Grand, Grand Canyon National Recreation Area, who are out trying to erase modern graffiti. There's, there's so much modern graffiti, spray paint, all kinds of junk up and down the banks of Lake Powell. They were simply trying to erase it all, and they stumbled upon, under some horrible modern graffiti, they found the only inscription from the expedition, which simply says, Paso por aquí, 1776, no names or anything. Passed by here, 1776. It's surely the only record left on the land by the Padres. Mm. There's a picture of it in my book, thanks to another retracer who took it, who found it and took a good picture of it. We just have about a minute and a half left. I wonder what you you set out. Of course, it had this long-term goal of retracing Dominguez and Escalante. Uh, now you've done it. What? Um... What's your biggest takeaway? What did, you, what did you get out of this? I, I think, 
I think it's to celebrate a virtually unknown journey, at least unknown to Americans, that in its way it was as extraordinary as Lewis and Clark, so in its other ways more extraordinary. They had 12 guys rather than 40 or 50, and they had far fewer resources. And it was, 20, it was a whole generation earlier that the West was that much more unknown. And even though I could never come around to the, the extreme missionizing perspective of the Padres, I had to admire them as explorers, as gutsy, determined, and even curious. They're curious about the Indians, even while they're sure they have the wrong religion. And basically, it's just a wonderful journey that nobody knows about, and I felt that by retracing it, I would get to know it as well as anyone could today. Well, uh, we've reached the end of our uh, conversation here. The the book, well worth read, Escalante's Dream on the Trail of the Spanish Discovery of the Southwest. And David Roberts, the author, has joined us. David Roberts, uh, pleasure as always. Thank you. Thank you, Tom, and thanks for the really good questions. And thanks for listening to Access Utah. This is Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences, KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM Logan, also heard at upr.org.